shadows can't deny Your name will not be overcome Yes, your name is alive Forever lifted high Your name cannot be overcome Your name is alive Shadows can't deny in your name cannot be overcome. Your name is alive forever lifted high. In your name cannot be overcome. Jesus, Jesus. You make the darkness tremble, Jesus, Jesus. You silence fear. Come on, church. Jesus, Jesus. You make the darkness tremble, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. Father, we thank you that you do silence our fear, God. We thank you that you do silence our depression, our anxiety, Father. We can call upon your name and that there's power in your name, Father. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you guys just want to take a couple minutes as you're finding your seat, say hi to your neighbor. A couple high fives would be cool. All right. Welcome. Welcome this morning. We just want to say that if you're a first-time visitor, uh, we'd like to acknowledge you if you guys want to raise your hands. We have a free gift for you guys outside. Um, there's a gentleman in the back, Edward. If you want to find him towards the end of the service, uh, he's got a gift for you. Um, also, um, 
if you've been coming and you haven't received an email as far as any events that we're having, um, maybe a birthday uh, wish, um, if you also can find Edward and just kind of update your info, we'd like to keep you guys in contact just with things that are going on uh, here at the church and also kind of send you encouraging notes and, um, and little encouragements. So um, I wanted to ask you guys this morning, when is the last time you saw or you were a part of a miracle? Ooh, ooh, not too many hands. I like that. That's good. All right, that's good. I'm going to give you a chance, and I'm going to tell some of you guys that you actually are part of a miracle, and you don't even know what's happening. Um, if, Mark, if you guys want to put that picture up in the back, we haven't really given an update. But in June, um, myself and eight leaders, we took about 25 students to Dallas uh, for our camp this year. And I just want to ask you guys, or um, tell you guys, if you prayed for our youth, if you invested money into our youth, if you've helped any way, you guys were part of a miracle. They tell us that one of the biggest miracles in life is when someone turns their life around and changes it towards Jesus. And we're talking about, you know, when we think of miracles, we think of, you know, legs being uh, healed, broken legs being healed and uh, paralyzed people. But when someone turns their life around and gives it to God, that's one of the biggest miracles that we can see. And I just want to rattle off a couple of things that happened in Dallas. And I'm talking about there was freedom from homosexuality, there was freedom from suicide, there was freedom from depression, anxiety, uh, there was freedom from drug addiction, sexual, um, sexual uh, disease and, and, and uh, sins. And so I just wanna tell you guys, if you have prayed for the youth, you are part of a real life miracle today. And so I just wanna thank you guys for sparking that flame. I'll tell you what's happening in the past two weeks of youth group. Two weeks ago, we sat in this building right here on this floor, and I didn't preach more than five minutes. We sat in here and worshiped for an hour and a half. The kids are on fire, you guys. And it's because of things that you guys are doing, the money that you're investing. Uh, last Friday, this last Friday, we had about 25 kids laid out here slain in the spirit. They just sat in here and had a little visit with Jesus, and they hung out. So I just want to tell you guys, thank you, thank you, thank you for what you guys are doing. Amen. So supposed to come up here and give an encouraging word, and that was kind of it, but I have something else for you guys. Um, is anybody like fashion? You like guys like fashion? You guys like wearing good stuff, hands? Yeah, fashion. We're all into fashion. Have you ever bought something? Um, you see somebody wearing it, a celebrity wearing it or something, you go and buy this coat, you go and buy this dress or something, and you wear it, and it doesn't look as good as the celebrity or person that you saw wearing it. Anybody in that boat? Yeah, come on, yeah. Are we in the vein right now? All right, so, so here's the thing. Everyone say comparison. Now say compare a sin. Uh-oh, see where we're going? All right, so just like Joseph on the coat of many colors, his dad had designed, his dad tailored, custom fit him a coat, and when Joseph got this coat, his brothers were jealous, and his brothers besides the other many things that they didn't like, they didn't like the fact that his dad gave him a coat. And so you know out of the many brothers, they were trying to put it on and trying to wear it and trying to make this coat fit. But guess what? The coat didn't fit them. And they were comparing themselves to Joseph, and they were jealous, and the hatred started making them just so jealous, and they wanted his coat, and they wanted his coat. But here's the thing is that because Jacob knew Joseph, the coat was custom fit for Joseph, Okay. Jacob spent time with Joseph, and I think in the same way when we compare that to our spiritual lives, 
a lot of times we try to compare ourselves to others in other situations, and he has that, and she has that, and his ministry is doing this, and even in our lively situations, you know, he's got the big house, and she's got the right family, and all this other stuff, but I think that what the Lord was telling me is that I have a custom coat for you, and don't compare yourself to other people. Compare yourself to me. Get in line with me because I've, I'm your tailor. I have the custom coat just for you. Don't try to put his coat on. Don't try to put her coat on. Spend time with me. I'm your tailor, and I'm going to custom fit you a coat. Amen? All right. Let's take up our offering. And uh, that's two encouraging words if you guys take either one of them. <laughs> Amen. Father, we thank you, God. We thank you that we have a church. Father, we thank you that we have um, just a ministry, Father, that we can pour into each other. Father, we can pour into our community, God. We thank you that we have congregants that support us, Father. We thank you that we have a church that supports our youth and the youth of this city, God. Father, we just ask that you would just take this offering and double it and bless it, Father, and help us to advance your kingdom. And everyone said, amen. I think that's my cue. <laughs> hey, how we doing? Everybody good? All right, you guys look good this morning. So this is the message that I was supposed to preach last week, and I got sidetracked a little bit. So uh, evangelism, we're going to be talking about fishers of men this morning. So I know when, that, when we talk about that, and that thought comes in my mind and in your mind, and we think about, oh my gosh, evangelism. Yeah, I mean, if I just said, okay, we're going to go out right now, we're going to go out for the next hour, we're going to evangelize, you know. I mean, just, I mean, like fear and panic and anxiety and, and these images of that sandwich board out there on the sidewalk, I got to walk up and down and scream and yell and repent and, you know, fiery red-faced guys shaking their fist and all of these things that come into our minds is like, man, I don't, I don't even want to be a part of that, you know, just, uh, you know, 
And if you guys have done this years ago, you know, they had that thing called ding-dong ditch, you know, where you'd run up and, you know, bring a bag of groceries and some tracks and ring the doorbell and take off running, you know, because you didn't want to face the people. And it's like, there's all kind of ways to do it, you know, but I want to just share with you today that a, a way that Jesus did it and the disciples did it. And I think, you know, it's, uh, it seems like, man, we've just gone so far in one direction. God's saying, you know what, let's reel this thing back in. Let's just, you know, make some sense out of this. It's supposed to be fun, and, uh, you know, it's something that the Lord wants us to do. But before we get into the Word, I want to pray and uh, ask God's favor on the Word. And um, just join me, if you would, for just a second. Lord, we want to just say that we love you. Thank you for our worship this morning, coming into your presence. Lord, um, just thank you, God, as we just reflect on where we've come from this morning, Lord, that uh, once upon a time we were in a, a very dark and lonely place and light shined into our darkness and life came into us. You breathed into dead bodies and your spirit made us alive and you put us on a straight and narrow path and you brought peace. You took away our guilt and our shame. You took away the stain of sin and Father, we're so grateful, so grateful today for the work that you have done in the past, the work that you're doing today and tomorrow. Lord, your word says that he who has begun a good work in you is faithful to complete it. Lord, we would just yield ourselves this morning and say, Father, complete your work in me. Amen? Amen. All right. So before I get there, let me just share uh, just a couple of other announcements uh, you know, Steve and Jane are doing that grief share. That's on Tuesday nights at 6.30. And um, we've got Celebrate. I want to just uh, uh, quick thanks to Celebrate Recovery and Sozo uh, Student Ministries for, man, you guys did an awesome job last week. That was crazy. You know, and I don't know if you guys realize this, that uh, they had a, a slide out there in the front, and they ordered a dry slide, and they accidentally sent a water slide which was just totally cool. And I know it was cool because after about an hour of the kids playing in it, the, the adults are throwing the kids out of the way, and it's like, let me get on that thing. It's like, okay, we got to get a bigger one next time. <laughs> want to thank, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, everybody that's just here this morning, our leadership. I uh, want to thank our elders and deacons and especially the nursery workers, you know, that are working this morning and you guys see the nursery workers, give them a big hug and thank them for being with your children this morning. Uh, we just finished up our Wednesday night class on the Holy Spirit. And, uh, uh, you know, at the end of that class, they had this gifting thing. And, uh, you know, it's just like you kind of see where you fit. And so I took this test. And, uh, like, you know, I, man, it's like, you know, uh, I should have scored really high in pastor, but I didn't. And it's like, you know, oh my gosh, I'm thinking, what the heck? You know, so I'm going to take it. I got the cheat notes, and I'm going to take it again. <laughs> so, um, I, I, you know, I want to get into this thing about, we've got, I'm going to share this word with you, and then we're going to, we've got, this is our communion uh, Sunday. Uh, so uh, we're going to take uh, communion as our church family. We do that the second Sunday in the uh, summer because we do the church picnics and our, our final picnic is coming up in September, um, so in, invite your friends and your family. 
So I was, you know, thinking about this, and I remember this uh, story that I, I'd read many, many years ago about William Booth. William Booth is the founder of the Salvation Army, and, you know, th those are the guys that ring the bells and, you know, collect on, on Christmas. But this is, this is really cool. And let me just kind of set, you know, read this to kind of set up my message this morning. Uh, Booth was, he was born in 1829, died in uh, 1912, uh, as I mentioned, the founder of the, the Salvation Army, great minister, preacher, um, but th this vision came to him while he was uh, on a stagecoach, and uh, it says, on one of my recent journeys, as I gazed from the coach window, I was led into a train of thought concerning the condition of the multitudes around me. They were living carelessly in the most open and shameless rebellion against God without a thought for their eternal welfare. As I looked out the window, I seemed to see them all, millions of people all around me, given up to their drink and pleasure, their dancing and music and their businesses and their anxieties and their politics and their trouble. Sounds just like today. You know, anxieties and politics and troubles, ignorant, willfully ignorant in many cases, and in other instances, knowing all about the truth, but not caring at all. But all of them, the whole mass of them, sweeping on in their blasphemies and their devilries to the throne of God. And while my mind was thus engaged, I had a vision. And here's where, you know, the vision takes, takes place. He says, I saw a dark and stormy ocean over the black clouds hung heavily, and through them every now and then the vivid lightning flashed and the loud thunder rolled, and while winds moaned and waves rose and foamed and towers broke, only to rise and foam and towers to break again, and then the ocean, I thought, I saw myriads of poor human beings being plunged, floating and shouting and shrieking and cursing and struggling and drowning as they cursed and screamed. They rose and shrieked again, and some of them sank to rise no more. And I saw out of that dark, angry ocean a mighty rock that rose up with its summit towering high above the black clouds that overhung the stormy sea. And all around the base of this great rock, I saw a vast platform. And onto this platform I saw with delight a number of poor, struggling, drowning wretches continually climbing out of the angry ocean. And I saw that a few of those who were already safe on the platform were helping the poor creatures still in the angry waters to reach the place of safety. On looking more closely, I found a number of those that had been rescued, industriously working and scheming by ladders and ropes and boats and other means more effective to deliver the poor strugglers out of the sea. And here and there were some who were actually jumping into the water regardless of the consequences in their passion to rescue the perishing. And I hardly know which gladdened me most, the sight of the poor drowning people climbing onto the rocks, reaching a place of safety, or the devotion and the self-sacrifice of those whose whole beings were wrapped up in the efforts of their deliverance. And as I looked on, I saw the occupants of that platform were quite a mix of company. That is, they were divided into different sects of classes, and they occupied themselves with different pleasures and employment. But only a few of them seemed to be 
to make it their business to get the people out of the sea. But what puzzled me most was the fact that though all of them had been rescued at one time or another from the ocean, nearly every one seemed to have forgotten all about it. Anyway, it seemed that the memory of its darkness and danger no longer troubled them at all. And what seemed equally strange and perplexing to me was that these people did not even seem to have any care, that in any agonizing care about the poor perishing ones who were struggling and drowning right before their very eyes, many of whom were their own husbands and wives and brothers and sisters and even their own children. That vision goes on, and you can Google it, you can look it up. Uh, just Google William Booth's stagecoach vision. Uh, but it's an interesting vision about the lost and the dying world that we live in today. And uh, the message that Jesus has given us to be evangelists, to go out and share the gospel. And as I mentioned, you know, the, the thought of evangelizing or sharing our story or sharing a message sometimes ter terrifies us. Uh, we're, we're extremely terrified of, you know, of rejection and, you know, fear. Uh, I think sometimes we're fear of the rejection of what those that are listening might say. I think sometimes we're fear, uh, uh, fear we have a fear of success. Uh, what do we do next? Now, let me just kind of pick up, because I want to just show you two examples here, that Jesus begins his ministry by telling his disciples to preach the gospel, and he ends his ministry by sharing the same thing. I'm going to pick up in Matthew chapter 4. This is the call of the disciples. And while walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. And then we have what's called the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28. Uh, I've been given authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I've given you. These are some of the last words. The first words of Jesus were, I'm going to make you fishers of men. The last words of Jesus are, you know, some of the last words are, go into all the world and, you know, preach the, the, this message of the kingdom, this gospel of the kingdom um, to, uh, to everyone that will hear it. And, you know, there's another place that says that uh, the, the Son of Man won't return until this gospel message is preached into all of the earth. And so, Having understood that and understanding that Jesus wants you and I to go out and to make disciples and to share our story, um, and as I mentioned, you know, those thoughts sometimes terrify us because we're, we're often concerned about, well, what about the questions they're going to ask us? You know, I mean, questions like, questions that I can't answer. What if I get, you know, to someone that asks me a question that I don't know the answer to and I'm going to look like, you know, some kind of fool, um, you know, questions like, you know, these, these questions like, you know, how could Noah 
get all of those animals on the boat? I mean, is that really, is that really true? Did Noah really get all those? You know, what if somebody asked you that question? Or how do you answer the question, you know, that Jonah got swallowed by the big fish? I mean, could he really live inside a, a big fish for three days? Can you breathe inside a fish for three days and three nights? I mean, you know, how do you answer that question? Or how do you answer the question about the four horsemen of the apocalypse? How do you, how do you answer those kind of questions? You know, I, I mean, honestly, I, I probably couldn't answer them either. I can't answer them either. But one question that I can't answer, one statement that I can make, is like, I can't answer all of that. Now, you know, I'm not a great theologian, you know, but I can tell you one thing. I know what I used to be. I know that I was a drug user. I know that I, you know, I did heroin at one time. I know that I've taken LSD. I know that I've smoked pot. I was a drug dealer at one time. I know that my life was in the pit. And I know that I, you know, there was nothing I could do to save myself. And you know what? I know that Jesus showed up in my life. I can't answer those questions, but this is what I can tell you that Jesus has done for me. And see, you know, I think that that will get people's attention. So the Bible says in Proverbs 11:30, the fruit of the righteous is the tree of life. And so here's what happens. When you, when you come to Jesus, you know, the Holy Spirit begins to work in your life, and, and you become, you know, the Bible says that he that knew no sin was made sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God through him. And so God starts working in my life, and he starts making me righteous, and it says that when God starts that work in my life, I become, I, I start becoming a tree of life, that people can come to me and, and I can minister life to them. And so he says that the fruit of the righteous is the tree of life. Now listen to this, two parts to this. The fruit of the righteous is the tree of life, and those that win souls are wise. Those that win souls are wise, all right? And then in the New Testament, by the way, the book of Daniel kind of closes that way too, that those that win souls are wise. And so what that tells us, that tells you and I, that if we're going to win souls, if you and I are going to be effective in winning souls, that we've got to be wise, okay? And then Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6 says, be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. Okay, that's just talking about unbelievers. That's talking about those that aren't saved yet. Be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Now, listen to this carefully. Make the most of every opportunity let your conversation be always full of grace, full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. That you may know how to answer everyone. Colossians 4, 5, and 6. Chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. So, if you and I are going to win souls, we've got to be wise. To win souls, we've got to be wise. And so, I want, to, I want you to know... Here's one thing that we know for sure, the three points that I want to make today. It says, to, to win souls, that we've got to be wise in our appointments. That every day, just, you know, sometimes we call this like Jesus had the encounter with the woman at the well. We call those divine appointments, although divine appointments are not a word in the Bible. But the Bible, I believe, that daily, and, and it's like once you become aware of this, you know, it's like you can see it a lot more often. But I believe that every day that God, you wake up and you've got your own plans. This is what the Word says. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. That, you know, you get up, you've got your plans, and you've got all the things that you want to do. But I believe that God brings these intersections in your life throughout the day. 
that I want you to talk to this person. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have your path cross with this person. And I know that this happens. I mean, it happens in, in spiritual things. It happens in very practical things as well. Yeah, I remember, you know, I told this story a couple of, maybe a couple of months ago. We bought, the church bought a refrigerator in uh, Albuquerque. And I'm driving that thing back, and this thing is just like leaning in the back of my truck. You know, it's about a 45-degree angle. And I'm thinking, you know what, if it falls, I'm not going to be able to return it. And so, and, and then there's a, you know, there's on the label, do not lay it down. And I'm thinking, okay, well, you know, what's worse, lay it down or have this thing blow out of the back of my truck? So I get back there, I lay it down. The problem is that by the time I get there, I get to the store, if they see it laying down, they're not going to take it back. And so I was like, I need help getting this thing up, and it's so heavy, I can't lift it. And so I call my brother-in-law, who lives in Albuquerque, and uh, I need some help. And it's like, he's the only person that I can think of. And so I call him up, and I said, man, I need some help lifting this refrigerator. And he said, man, we are driving out of town right now. We're going, you know, uh, down south to, I can't remember where they were headed. And I said, oh, man, I need some help. I said, well, where are you? And he said, we're already on the road. We're driving out of town. And I said, well, where are you? And he said, uh, we are at uh, I-25 in Montgomery. And I said, and I looked up, I'm on I-25, Montgomery. I'm like, seriously? I said, well, where are you? And he said, we're just right there at the ramp. And I looked in my rearview mirror, and he's right there behind me. He's right behind me. I said, take the ramp, get off. And so we get off. Pull over the side. We stand the refrigerator up. You know, it's nice. I dust it off, take it back. And it's like, okay, everything is good. But I want to tell you guys, I just believe that things happen like that all the time. We're just not aware of them. I believe that God is bringing these little appointments our way, people that just need to hear the Word of God, people that, that you can share your, your story with. The Bible says that the steps of good men are ordered by the Lord. He says um, in his heart, Man plans his course, but God determines his steps. That means that you wake up in the morning, you got all your plans for the day, but God is bringing you these little intersections, these little, these little appointments, these, these God-given appointments in your life every day. And if you're, if you're careful, if you're sensitive to the Holy Spirit, if you wake up in the morning and just say, Lord, I want to be used by you today. Here's my life, Lord. I want to be used by you. I believe that God will bring into your path people that you can share a message with. And so when that happens, you know, uh, I, I want to tell you there are a couple of things that you need to do. You know, and, and, and this will happen to me sometimes. You know, I'll wake up and I'll just start, I'll just praying, Lord, is there someone you want me to talk to, somebody that I need to be ministering to? And so in doing that, God will bring a name to my mind and I'll call them or send a text or, you know, meet for lunch or something like that. But, you know, if you want to be effective, if you want to be wise in, in reaching people, you've got to be intentional in your relationship. It can't be casual. You, you've got to have an intentional relationship with, this, with these individuals. So you've got to be intentional. And in doing that, you know, you, you can't just... I, I, I was listening to um, uh, Chris Hodges share this message, and he was talking about um, this ca college campus that he grew up on, and he said every year this, this guy, and I can't remember the guy's name, but the, this guy and this lady showed up, and they would get up on a park bench and, and doing what I kind of said earlier. They're screaming and shouting and shaking their fist and you're all going to die and, you know, you're going to go to hell. And then, you know, when he'd get tired, he would take a break and then the lady would get up and she'd kind of take off, you know, take up where he left off. 
and then she would, you know, talk about, you know, salvation, and, and then she would, she would say it like this. She said that if you don't believe this, that you are going to burn, you're going to burn in the lake, and then, then she would do this, a fire, you know, and, and then, you know, she would just say something, and if you don't believe this, you're going to burn, and then she'd say, in the lake, a fire, you know, and it's like, you know, and then all of a sudden the crowd started getting in. She'd get to that place where she had paused and everybody was like, a fire, you know, it's like, you know, I mean, that is one way to reach people, you know, probably not a real effective way, you know, uh, so, um, and while it's true, while it's true, you know, the Bible says that Jesus came, it says in John that he was full of grace and full of truth, okay? He was full of grace and truth. And I tell you what, truth by itself is pretty hard, and truth by itself is harsh. I mean, while what, you know, what that lady was saying is true, you need to season this thing with grace, and you need to go, you need to send out the grace portion of it first. So you got to be intentional in your relationships, and that's, you know, just building relationship, finding out what people are interested in, you know, uh, and, you know, we all have these incredible needs in our life. We all have this, this spot, you know, what we would call maybe a spiritual spot in our lives, whether it's in our finances or our family or our career, our dreams that we have, you know, that there are certain things that people want to talk about. And, you know, people, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, uh, in a selfie generation, uh, you know, that we're really interested in ourselves and we like to talk about ourselves. You've heard that old, old expression, you know, uh, enough about talking about me, let's talk about me for a while. So, uh, so uh, you've got to find that spot, you know, what they're, you know, what individuals are interested in. I don't know if you guys uh, uh, have heard of the, uh, this theory of human motivation by Abraham Maslow. Have you guys, you guys ever hear of this? You know, this, this guy in 1943, uh, Maslow, he, he came up with this, um, it's a, uh, a theory of human motivation, and he just talks about the needs that we have as people. I've got this up here, and he starts with the, uh, the, the, the very basic, actually there's eight of them now, and um, there's eight of those needs, but um, he starts out with your uh, physiological needs. Uh, that's the, you know, just the basic need to stay alive, to eat, to drink, to safety. Where am I going to sleep tonight? Uh, do I have a bed? Do I have shelter over my head? You know, it's hard to some, talk to somebody about Jesus if, if they're lacking this. If they don't have a bed to sleep in tonight or they don't have a garment, if they don't have a, uh, um, you know, a blanket to cover up with, it's hard to, you know, just get into the Jesus message with them. Um, the next thing on that um, is, and these are, these are actually broken up into three categories. Uh, the second one is love and affection needs, to focus on the needs of those uh, around us. Uh, we all want to be appreciated. We all want to be wanted. We all want affirmation in our life. We need friendship and intimacy in our life. Uh, we find that sometimes in social groups, uh, you know, in clubs, and sometimes even in gangs, you know, you can find that need can be met, it can be met there. Uh, the third one is, and this is actually the highest one, uh, fulfillment needs uh, uh, for the human heart. And there, uh, there's not enough money that can fulfill this need. There's not enough vacations that you can take to, to satisfy this need. This is a God-given need. And, and God created you, uh, you know, with this need. 
and only God can fulfill this need. And so you can't be totally fulfilled um, and leave God out of the process. And so if you're talking to somebody and, and they've already fulfilled the first two um, uh, of those needs, then this is, where you, this is where you start with your message. You know, you find out what their God-given need is and has that been met, has that been satisfied? Um, now, there's a scripture that goes with this, and Paul t says it like this. He said, my work was to plant. I came along and I planted the seed in their heart. Apollos, his work was to water, but it was God that made the garden grow. And, um, you know, we can go through life and we can have a, a lot of success in life, but if you don't find out what God has created you for, and, and what, you know, before you were born. The Bible says before you were born, God had a plan and a purpose for your life. And let me just say that that purpose for your life is not just to breathe air and to pay bills and to have fun. That God created you for something. Every one of you, God created you for something. And you will never be fully satisfied until you find out what you were created for. That when you get to the point where you say, I was made for this. I, this is what I was made for. And it doesn't have to be spiritual. You guys remember the movie of Chariots of Fire? You know, I mean, uh, uh, and I can't, Eric Little, was that his name? B, was that his name? All right, thank you. Uh, so, I mean, he was a runner. And, you know, he said, I believe that God made me for this. This is what God made me for. And God made you for something. And when you find out what it's for, man, you will soar through life. I mean, life will be so much better for you when you find out what God made you for. Amen? That's a good place you can clap, okay? All right, you can shout. Remember our, our, verse, our verse, Psalm 47.1. Clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with a voice of praise. <laughs> all right. So, uh, let me just give you a couple of examples of this. You know, uh, the woman, Jesus at the woman with the woman at the well. And so, let me just back up. Um, so, we talked about last week that when God created you, when God created you with a, with a purpose, he didn't just like throw you out there and just say, okay, you know, go get them. And, uh, you know, come back and check in with me when you're about to die. Uh, no, what he did is he said, you know, I created you for a purpose, and I'm going to give you some tools to do the things that I've called you to do. And so he's given you these gifts and these talents. That's what we were trying to find out in the Holy Spirit class. And so he's given you gifts and talents so that you can do the work that he's called you to do. And let me just give you an example. So with Jesus, we'll just use Jesus, okay? Good example. So, um, so Jesus is with a woman at the well. And he's, he's talking to her. She's come to, you know, fill the water and, you know, talk about religion. She wants to get very spiritual and everything. And so um, he says that, uh, go call your husband. And she said, well, I don't have a husband. And he says, you're right, you don't have a husband. You've had five in the past. And the man that you're living with right now is not your husband. And so, look, here's a gift. This is the gift that what we would call one of the gifts, the gift of discernment. Jesus was able to understand what was going on in this lady's life. And that, you know, no matter how many men she had, men were not going to satisfy this God-given need that she had. 
and, and I mean, she had a great desire in her, her, uh, her life to be affirmed, to be wanted, to be loved, and, you know, desperately reaching out, just whatever it is. And see, guys, we do this through, you know, we can do this through sex, we can do it through drugs, we can do it through alcohol, we can do it through pornography, uh, you know, we can do it through whatever, take it to some extreme, and we just are not satisfied. And you run down that road forever, only to hit the wall and find out, you know, you pick yourself up and it's like, you know, man, that was a waste of time. I'm not doing that. So you won't be satisfied until you find out that God-given, you know, hole in your heart that only God can fill, let him fill it. And so then we see another example of this. You know, Jesus uh, heals the man uh, with the blind that had that, been born. This is in John chapter 9. And he heals a man that, that was blind from birth and uh, puts mud on his eyes, telling him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. And he comes back and you know, I mean, here, Jesus is using, he's meeting, watch what he's doing. I mean, just with this woman, you know, he meets her needs. We're talking about building relationships. He's building a relationship with this woman. Same thing is happening with this man, the blind guy. He's building a relationship with this man. You know, what this man's greatest needs were at that, at that point was to see. Jesus gives him his vision, and then he doesn't even know who it was. I mean, he's blind. Jesus, you know, said, put some mud on his eyes and says, go wash. So obviously he doesn't know what Jesus even looks like. And uh, he goes and washes and he sees and uh, Jesus finds him because he's been thrown out of the synagogue now. And Jesus says to him, and I'll just kind of pick it up here. He says, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, he says, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. So See how this started? Jesus' relationship with him started in a miracle that turned into salvation for this man. Um, and the Bible's full of them. Let me just move on. Our second point is that to win souls, uh, uh, you, to win souls, be wise in your approach or your manner. And let me give you a scripture. It says, let me tell you why you are here. Let me tell you why you're here. Some of you are wondering that this morning. Why am I here? Uh, not just here, here, but here, okay? So let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out God flavors of this earth. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, to bring out God colors in the world. So you're here to be bring out you know, God flavoring, God seasoning, and God colors. You're supposed to be you know, bright, and light to all those that are around you. And, you know, I, you know I, the world has beat people up enough, you know, and, I mean, you can just go on hate book, and, you know, you can just see it there just every day, you know, people just getting in these battles. Don't get drawn into these battles. Don't, I tell you what, I started yesterday, man, I had about two paragraphs written out. I'm going to answer this thing. Man, hit the delete button. That's what I did. Hit the delete button. All right, and then the same way, the scripture in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, it says, in the same way, in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You know, you need to make things better and brighter in your workplace, in school, you know, wherever you are, bring in God, bring in the light of God, bring in the life of God, wherever you go, bring it in. Because, you know, like I said, people have been beat up enough. They have been beaten up by this world. They need to see a real, true, living example of what someone that, you know, believes in Jesus, has given their life to Jesus, what that person looks like and acts like. Amen? 
All right, come on, come on. All right, so you, what, what we need to do is uh, you need to understand the world. You know, um, see, we didn't all grow up the same. And uh, there's something about the way that we were raised, the, the way that you grew up, that's kind of affecting your life right now. And you don't know what that individual's going through in your office or in your workplace or at school, another student or a friend of yours, or even a relative. You don't know exactly what's going on in their life. And so before we start, you know, shoving the Word of God at them and beating them up with the Bible, let's just listen. You know, there's a, there's a protocol. I use this a lot. At, uh, at funerals, because at a funeral, it's just natural for us. When we see somebody grieving, we want to do something. We want to just jump in and say something, and usually we say the wrong thing. And, uh, you know, I, I, I just read a list of stupid things that people have said at funerals, you know, that, you know, you're probably better off without him or her. Uh, it's, like, it's like, you know, really, you know, I mean, you know, and they're probably better off without you. They're in a better place now. I mean, you're trying to, you know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, the, the, this pastor, he was trying to preach and give an exact example, and he was talking about, he was using the example, you know, he says, uh, he was trying to use a, the uh, example of a nut, and he says, the shell is here, but the nut is gone. And it's like, <laughs> it's like, you know, we can say stupid things, you know. And so, here, it's three, three protocols, okay. And it not, not only is it good for funerals, it's, it's just good in everyday life. But to, uh, in, in funerals, you need to hush, okay. Not be so quick to speak. That's what James says, a hush. And to hug and to hear, Okay. That's a, that's a good example in just living life, you know. Just sit down with people, find out what's going on in their life, find out their story. And, you know, we're, we're not all going to agree with one another, but you might have a little bit of insight if you find out where this person has come from, okay? And show them unconditional love. Uh, you know, I, I mean, that, that's just the kind of love that God has shown you and I, this unconditional love that no matter what their background, what they've gone through, we're going to still love them. And, um, you know, the, many times we put on this kind of like, you know, you know, this tough facade, but inside we're just screaming. There may be somebody like that this morning, you know, just broken and hurting inside. But, uh, you know, and, and find out, you know, what their perspective is. Tell me what you think about God or tell me what you think about church and listen to them, you know, what they think about. Maybe they went to a church. You know, um, Paul, when he was speaking to the Galatians, you know, he says that, Man, I'm just blown away that you have been, you know, so moved, been moved by another gospel. I'm going to tell you, there are two gospels out there. There's two gospels today. The same gospel that Paul was talking about, the, you know, that the Galatians had been moved by, was a gospel that said, you have to do all of these things. You have to keep all of these rules and all of these regulations in order to be saved. And if you don't do that, we've got a bunch of people here in the church that will point their finger at you and make you feel bad and try to condemn you and convict you. And that's really the work of the Holy Spirit, not condemnation, but conviction, you know. And let's not get into that, okay? Let's don't do the devil's work. Let's do God's work, okay? 
Let's don't be condemning people. The Bible says that he was the accuser of the brothers. And, you know, really, if someone is, is going through or has been through something like that, been through a, a, what I would call a mean church, you know, where there are mean Christians and there are ugly Christians out there, and I know that we don't have any of those in here, okay? So don't be looking at one another because you're not one of those. But, but there, man, I, I'm telling you, there are, there are mean Christians out there. And, and, you know, they just want to hammer you. And, you know, it, it's like the story, I, I've told this here before, about the three pastors that were interviewing for a job. And they were all preaching on the subject of an individual going to hell. And, uh, you know, the, the one pastor that at the end that got the job, the other two went up and said, look, you know, I, I, I preached that message better than that guy did. I can't understand why you got the job. And, you know, those that were doing the interview said, yeah, you know, you actually did a better job preaching the, the message. But did you notice that when he talked about people that were going to hell, that he was weeping and he was crying and he was broken because people were going to hell? And when you preach the message, you seemed glad that people were going to hell. And guys, that's the mean church. That's the church that we don't want to be. You're not going to win people telling them that they're going to hell and you're happy about it. All right? That's my story. I'm sticking with it. So Paul says, I'm going to wrap this up here, okay? Paul says that uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 9, verse 22, he says, whatever a person is like, I try to find common ground with him so that he will let me tell him about Christ and let Christ save him. Now listen, Paul's saying, I'm trying to find common ground with that person. What, I'm trying to find that sweet spot, that spiritual spot. What are their interests? You know, let me have an inroad, and we can talk about those things, and then eventually I'll be able to share with them about, uh, about my Savior. And then in order for us to win souls, we've got to be wise in our answer, the answer that we're going to give. Um, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, it says, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks uh, the reason of hope that you have. Do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed. Be prepared to give that answer. And then don't get into these arguments, these strifes and contentions about the law and the Word of God and how did Jonah survive in the whale and all of the animals on the boat and the, you know, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Don't get into those argumentative, those uh, divisive questions. You know, it says don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. Don't do that. That's from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 23. Let me show you another example of how Jesus did this. In, in Luke chapter 19, um, Jesus comes to the house of, or he's uh, coming down the street. Zacchaeus, you guys remember the, you know, Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Come on, Baptist, you guys in here? A wee little man was he, okay? And so... Uh, Zacchaeus, he, it says that uh, he hurried down, and uh, Jesus says, I want to stay with you today. And Zacchaeus hurried down and uh, gladly welcomed Jesus, and everyone who saw this started grumbling. This man, Zacchaeus, is a sinner, and Jesus is going, at ho uh, going home to eat with him. All right, Jesus is going home to eat. First of all, notice that Jesus doesn't start preaching with him and telling him that he's going to the lake of fire, okay? He's, Jesus doesn't tell him that. He's, you know, it says that Jesus is going home to eat with the man. 
And later that day, Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, I, will, I don't know what kind of lunch they had. They had lunch, we know that. But it says later that day, Zacchaeus says, Lord, I'm going to give half my property to the poor, and I will now pay back four times as much to everyone I've ever cheated. Uh, said, and the Lord said to Zacchaeus, Today you and your family have been saved. So it must have been quite a lunch. Not sure what they talked about, but notice where he started. He didn't start with a lake of fire. He started with lunch and, and, and a relationship. Guys, I'm going to just tell you, it's, so, it, it's, a, it's a lot easier than we, we've made it out to be. You know, forget the sandwich board and, you know, standing up on the soapbox and shaking your fist at people and telling them that they're going to hell. All right, let's try a different approach. Let's try the approach that Jesus tried. Let's try loving people where they are. All right, let's try reaching out to them. Let's extend a hand. All right, let's be the church. Not to, let's not be the mean church. Let's be the church. Remember, by, Jesus said, by this, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples. By the, help me out. By the, by the, come on, church. Come on, help me out. Come on, come on. I, you know the answer. Jesus said, by this shall all men know my, you're my disciples. By the, by the love, by the love, okay? By the love that you have one for another. By the love that you have one for another. So, my, my final point is, as I mentioned, that you don't have to know, and this is a great example. In Mark chapter 5, uh, when Jesus heals the Gadarene demoniac, and, uh, um, and this guy, this is kind of interesting because after he's healed, it says that, it says that the man that was uh, demon-possessed begged Jesus, listen, now Jesus is going from town to town evangelizing, preaching the gospel, but it says that the man begged Jesus that he could go with him. I want to go with you, Lord. I want to go, and I'm going to evangelize. I'm going to, I'm going to do what you're, what you're doing with your disciples. Let me just follow you. I'll go with you. It says, but Jesus told him that he couldn't go. Instead, listen to what he says. Go home. I want you to go home and explain to them how Noah got all those animals on the boat, how Jonah survived in the fish, and tell them about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And the Gadarene demoniac went crazy again. No, it says go home and tell your friends and your family how much the Lord has done for you and how much mercy God has had on you. Go home and just tell them your story. Just tell them with love and with kindness. When you walk into you know, your office or your school tomorrow, I guess Monday, Monday, ba-da. Oh man, it's just like, man, Monday again, and I hate being here. I don't want to be at work on Monday. And you bring in a box of Dunkin' Donuts. You know, I told you I did that the other day. You know, well, I failed again. This last week, I mean, I, I went to Dunkin' Donuts to buy 12 donuts. I had two donuts apiece for six guys. I came out with 14 donuts, two for me, which I didn't want to buy. But now I'm hooked, and I went back again. But you know what? I brought those donuts to guys that I didn't even know, guys that showed up on the crew, on the construction crew. And, uh, you know, later on that day, uh, I, they were all gathered, and I just said, you know, they were getting ready to have lunch, and I'm like, hey, guys, you mind if I pray for your food? 
they're like, absolutely, yes, yes, pray for our food. I want to tell you that when you show these acts of love and kindness to people, you have opened the door to speak in their life. Amen? So I'm asking you to do that. I mean, put some Dunkin' Donuts in the face of people, and it'll open the door for you. I'm, I can evangelize Dunkin' Donuts. I mean, I could, I could sit up a stand. I could sit up a sandwich board right there. Dunkin' Donuts. And no, but seriously, guys, you know, I, it, don't make it complicated. Don't make it hard. That you're going to win. You can win souls if you, you know, are wise in your appointment, wise in your approach to people, and wise in your answer. Be, be careful how you answer people. So this morning, what I want to do before we take communion. I want us to stay, stand. I want us to all just stand for just a moment. And I want, uh, if our servers would go get uh, the communion elements and just come, come forward with those. But uh, I know that there are people here this morning that, uh, you know, that something may be going on in your family. Um, you need peace and joy in your life. Maybe, you know, you feel like, Lord, I've, switched over from being a loving and kind Christian to now I'm in the category of one of those mean people. That's not who I want to be. I don't want to be mean. I want the love and joy and the goodness and the gladness of the Lord back in my life. Or I'm stressed out by my relationships with my wife or husband or our kids or just they've taken a wrong turn in life. And I'm stressed over this, Lord. And my plate is full this morning. And uh, I just have a heavy load, and I need you to lighten my load. I, I need that peace that passes all understanding. Oh, and Lord, we know that you are the source. And so, you know, if I'm speaking to you this morning, I I'm, just want to pray with you. And maybe there's somebody in here this morning that you've never really received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And uh, I want to speak to you as well, because the Bible says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness if we confess our sins. So if you're coming, you want to come to the Lord this morning, this is going to be your first time. You just simply say, Lord, you know my sins. You know my heart. I'm a sinner that I've transgressed your word. I have iniquity in my life. Lord, I bring it all to you. I'm asking you to forgive my sins and take away my guilt and my shame. And Lord, I pray that you would reveal to me uh, my purpose this is why I'm here. This is why you created me. And I encourage you to, you know, just receive him. The Bible says that, that all of those and whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you're sincere this morning and you want to ask God to forgive you your sins and you're sincerely sorry for your sins, you're not just looking for the get out of hell free card, but you're, you're sincerely sorry for your sins. If you confess your sins, the Bible says that whosoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. And for the rest of you, I'm going to just pray, God, that your peace would come, that you're, you are the God that gives peace that passes all understanding. You are the restorer of peace. I pray that you'd restore peace for those that are anxious and worried, that where strife and contention has come in. God, I pray that you'd breathe peace over this congregation, that the peace that passes all understanding would settle upon your people, that you would take them into that little shelter that little harbor uh, where they could be away from the and uh, in, in the place of quiet from the storms of this life lord that you'd bring peace in the heart and peace in the mind lord peace in the soul lord i pray for 
health issues, those that are struggling with health problems this morning. I pray, God, that you'd bring healing to your people this morning. Let the healing power of your Holy Spirit just overshadow this place this morning because your word says that my soul will bless you because you forgive all of my sins and you heal all of my diseases, that you redeem my life from the pit, that you crown me with steadfast love and mercy, and you renew my strength so that I can rise up on the wings of eagles. God, you are a good God. And with that, we just lift up a shout of praise to our God. Amen. Hallelujah. All right. So we're going to come around to the table of the Lord. Here these guys come. And it looks like a, a mass march. Look at all these men. Awesome. Awesome. All right. You know why all of these guys are single here this morning is because their wives are away. Their wives needed a break. So they went to the mountain. Come on, they went to the mountain to God. That's what I like to call that place. Come on, take me to the mountain. Take me to the mountain of God. I like that. I like that. Come on. All right, guys. So uh, why don't you just come forward and uh, take the elements, take the bread and the cup, go back to your chair and come in a kind of a counterclockwise motion. And uh, um, that would be from your right going back to your left. And then we'll, uh, we'll all partake together.
So the scripture says that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, that he took bread and he broke it. And um, you've got your, your unleavened bread there in front of you. And I, I, you know, I just, I can't help myself because every time I look at this, I, you know, I, I have to say this. Um, this is unleavened bread that Jews have been partaking of for 2,000 years, even before Christ came. But Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 53 that says that he was, he was pierced for our transgressions and he was wounded for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace is upon him and by his stripes we are healed. So I, I, say, I say that and it kind of goes kind of quick in the ear but not so much to the heart. I want you to, if you just look at your, 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 your wafer there, your bread, so you'll see those holes in there. We didn't put those in there. That's the way that this come for a couple of thousand years now. He was pierced. So those holes in there represent he was pierced for our transgressions and he was wounded for our iniquities. And you see that, that brown, you know, the, 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 the bread was broken. He was crushed for our iniquities and by his stripes. You'll see that even the, the roasting or the toasting of the bread, you'll see those brown stripes. And all of, all of this in this, this piece of bread talking about his piercing, his crushing, and his stripes. You know, for thousands of years, even before Christ came, you know, this has been a part of that. Um, and I want us to think about it this morning, just before we just plunge in, think about that day, that day on Calvary, so 2,000 years ago, the night before when Jesus said, this is my body, which is broken for you. All of you partake. So we partake together. And then it says he took the cup, the cup of thanksgiving. He says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. The blood representing, or the cup representing the blood, the bread representing the body, the broken body, the body and the blood. This cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. All of you partake. Amen. Amen. Lord, you are good. You are so good to us. We thank you, Father, for your love and kindness. We thank you that no matter how many times we fail you or fall, God, that your uh, mighty outstretched arm is there to lift us up. Your word says that a righteous man may fall seven times, but you're always there to pick us up, God, and I know that many of us have fallen a lot more than that. God, we thank you for your love and your kindness, and to everyone that's in here, God, we come from all different flavors and backgrounds of life, uh, from ups and downs, rich and poor, black and white. Lord, uh, we come from those that came from good Christian homes to those that didn't know you, abusive relationships. God, we thank you. Just, we magnify your name, God, as I look out over the sea of people in this room today, knowing the backgrounds that some of these people have come from. And God, I just, I marvel and I magnify your name. And I will, and we will close this service by lifting up a shout. Shout, clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Amen, amen. God bless you guys. Before you leave, I want to recognize Greg is here with his family from California and a wife-to-be, bride-to-be. His mom and dad are here. Welcome. God bless you guys. So good to see you. 
Um, that ceremony is on Saturday, the 18th. God bless you guys. Have a great week. Hey guys, how are you? How are you? Good to see you.